Welcome to the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society. Welcome to ITSP Magazine Podcast Radio. You're about to listen to an episode of Through the Tech Vine. So be quiet, pay attention, and get inspired. There is one truth that is not told enough. Technology is not magic, but it can be magical. Technology is human. It is part of who we are, our evolution, our future. Will it be a dystopian or utopian one? Well, that is up to us and nobody else. Knowledge is power, now more than ever. Blue Lava is the first business platform for CISOs to manage their security program. Blue Lava guides security leaders to effectively measure, optimize, and communicate their security program with confidence and ease in one platform. Learn more at bluelava.net. Five, no music. Well, okay. No, let me let me rephrase that. There are music if you're listening to the podcast because that's called editing. So there will be there will be music. But I was too lazy to learn how Sean does the trick on the live broadcast. And as you can tell, there is no Sean. We we told him that there was no show today, and so we, he didn't show up. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, he's probably watching right now. I'm like, wait a minute, I, I, why am I not there? Why do I look so much prettier like Keenan? Yeah, this is Keenan's Kelly. Why? Why? You're not Sean. I'm definitely not Sean. Although I could, I could go get a beanie and put that on real quick. There you go. Yeah, I would say since when he moved in the cold, he's wearing that beanie quite a bit. So he's yeah. fond of that beanie. You got to yeah. keep the head warm. That's really the most important thing. But you guys are big beanie people because I remember, I think in the first year at RSA that I met you and Sean was the year that I shaved my head and you guys were giving out ITSP beanies. Yeah. And you gave me an extra one because you're like, you're going to need it, kid. You know, I still I still have uh, a couple of those. Yes. Yeah. I could probably reach it in the right there, but I'm not going to. <laughs> But yeah, it was our first uh, merchandise. That and the, and the little buttons. We had like buttons. Yes. And uh, well, you know, that's the stuff you do when you go to live events. That's right. Yeah. Swag. I'm, I'm woefully like out of you know con t-shirts. I used to use them for everything, like you know washing the car. <laughs> All the important activities, cleaning up the the dog. One of the <laughs> best things that I use con t uh, shirts for was right at the beginning of the pandemic. I I started making masks for you know local hospitals and, and first responders. Oh, right. Okay, I can see that. I use the con t shirts on the inside because they're soft. Most of them are like really great soft cotton, and they all had cute little things on the inside. So when they opened them up and put them on, they would have surprise. <laughs> Be secure. Yeah. <laughs> Put on your mask. You, you know, I was just thinking about that because um, somebody told me, hey, we just made uh, some T-shirt and what size are you? My dog is going crazy. Shut up. And, uh, and, and I said, you know, I don't want it because I stopped taking merchandise at the events. And you know why that happened? First of all, I, I'm a little bit more minimalist about what I used to be. 
And then one time at RSA, you know, you get the press package and everything. And I'm like, I don't need it. So I'm going to give it to an homeless person. So I was walking on the pier. Sean was with me. I offer with T-shirts and the bag and everything. The guy's like, nope, I don't want it. And I'm like, crap, if you don't want it, <laughs> this is really a waste. Because... <laughs> yeah. So from that day, I just said, no, I, I don't want Just give me the pass. I'm okay. I, I, yeah, well, sounds like Keenan, you, you put it a good use with the mask. I, I did for that that short period of time. And then I kind of ran out and we haven't really done conferences since <laughs> Yeah. Good. Yeah. Yeah. I know. Um, how do you feel about merchandise, Diana? You do? Do you go for it, or you'd rather not? Yeah, I I, I check it out, but oftentimes, I, if I realize I'm not going to use it, I do say, you know, just just save it. And every now, and I've I've just left too many hotel rooms where I've have this sort of line of soldiers at the end, of, you know, like the different gifts that were in the bag, and I line them up, and I put a little note. Anything here you want, please take it because I did not leave it by accident. I did yeah. one time. I did have a hotel pack everything up and mail it to me. <laughs> you couldn't escape from it. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> <sighs> Found me. <laughs> I think this this whole conversation is perfectly timed because we're about to start going back to conferences, right? You know, RSA. Yeah. Knock on wood, RSA yeah. is coming up soon. Um, and if, if I could just give a message to all the vendors out there, don't go all in on crazy swag. Do maybe do a really superior, simple t-shirt that people will actually wear and nothing else. Okay, maybe stickers. Don't leave out this, keep the stickers. But everything else is just too much. It's too much for the people who are in InfoSec. We have too much of your stuff. Please stop. And quality, I agree. Do one thing. But do it good so that I'm actually going to work. Absolutely. And think about sustainability. I was at a conference, unfortunately, because it was in South America. I can't remember. It was, I think it was Brazil or Uruguay. But um, uh, the, the conference tag was actually plantable. So I couldn't bring it back because it had seeds. Oh, wow. So, you know, That's a great idea. I, had to, I gave it to somebody. But, yeah, there was no plastic involved at all. It was just this little cardboard that would decompose in the earth, and there were seeds inside, and it would grow beautiful wildflowers. And, oh, wow. Yeah. That's a great idea. Don't, don't they do that with uh, – I remember books. They used to do that, like put seeds in the book paper. So when you're yeah, done we, reading it, you just go ahead and – and turn it, it to the it's earth. It's already recompostable. Yeah. I love it. I love that. It's a good idea for sure. Maybe we can come up with some good ideas on what we would. What would you get? It's like you walk through like a booth and you're like, "Oh, that is really something I would like." Is it something maybe connected with maybe the environment? Maybe I don't know yeah. a rechargeable battery with solar. I don't know, dude. I don't want that sandy old concert style t-shirt that I'm, I'm I know I'm happy to have it but I'm never gonna wear it because it's so uncomfortable and then yeah, that's just for you Metallica we need to have like a whole episode or um something on that where we can all come together with different ideas from not just us but from the community because I mean I'm sure yeah. we have great ideas but <laughs> but I, I think everybody probably does I think it's a great idea yeah. I saw one post one time about um who was it 
God, I don't remember who was it, but it was um, Tanya. I think Tanya. Uh, she mentioned like, please stop sending me unisex T-shirt because I'm not gonna wear it. I mean, you're yeah. gonna send me something. Send me something that is feminine, which yeah. I may say the same thing. Don't give me an extra, extra, extra large because I'm yeah. not. <laughs> And that's the thing. If t-shirts are going to be your thing, then do t-shirts right and make sure they're accessible to everyone. Make sure that everybody's going to have something that they can, you know, take home and cherish and love it because it's just a wonderful, yeah. recyclable, plantable t-shirt, <laughs> whichever it is. But do that one thing really well and do it for everybody. Credits mm. for donation. Yes. Yeah. Just yes. give a, couple, a dollar or two. You know, you go around a whole show floor, you can probably make especially like a big one like RSA, make a hundred bucks for charity. Yeah. I think that's a brilliant idea. Yeah. Like the, the t-shirt that I saved the money for, I'm going to donate it. You decide where it's going to go. Yeah. That's, that's your gift. Love it. Honestly, yeah. as soon as you said RSA, I was thinking because it's in San Francisco and there are a couple of, you know, really powerful social economic issues there, such as homelessness yeah. and others, maybe that's part of it is donating it back to the city and instead of littering the city with all of our uh, water bottles with everybody's brand on it, we can do something right. that helps. Yeah. Yeah. And what about we don't even do it at all? So we, we don't even go through the process. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, so the, and well, this could be escalated quickly. <laughs> we, we could make change, right? We could bring, because I, I think it was, remember back in the days, like the 90s and the, the booth babes? And, ah, yes. And, and enough people came together and said to the, to the, yeah. to the RSA committee, it said, hey, um, we would not like that. And so now it's written in that there are certain codes of conduct and, and you don't see the, the booth babes anymore. Um, you see puppies sometimes now. Mm. Like, I did like the puppies for adoption. Um, yeah. I hope it was done in a humane way. But yeah, so maybe this is yeah. we come together and we say we want to petition the vendors to. But right now, right now I have this vision of being at the bottom of the escalator. You know what the biggest escalator? Oh is yeah, that yeah. Morning. And all these people that just come in with extra bags because that's why they come in. They want this oh, yeah. bag. That is true. There are, there are, yeah. So somebody's not going to be happy about it. But here's the thing is those people, and I'm going to go ahead and go on a limb here and say those people go. are a little bit younger in the space. Mm -hmm. Maybe this is their first RSA. Maybe they've been to a couple of RSAs. But by the time they get to their fourth and fifth RSA, they're going to be the same. They're going to be like, oh. I don't want any more water bottles. What am I going to do with them? Because their collection will have grown. That Good point. How many lightsaber made of plastic can you have? No, that that is, I, I did, I treasured my first RSA bag. It was my gym bag for the whole yeah. year. I was so proud of it. I was like, I went to RSA. <laughs> <laughs> This is a good constructive conversation. And uh, maybe somebody that is listening, you know, if you want to bring your position on this, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll have another open chat with a bunch of us talking about it. But this is not through the tech vine, although it is, you know, it is connected. We talk a lot about the environment all the time. So I'm always happy to do that. But today we got Keenan and, um, and we, we're making big plans. And that's the other society for people that already heard of it or they haven't. It's a new thing. We do panels and we have co-hosts and we have important conversation. 
We're going to do uh, Tech for Good with Diana, which we will plan soon. And we just had a planning chat with Keenan about protecting critical infrastructure. Ooh. With uh, I'm not going to tell you who is going to be on, but brain explosion. Ow. Yeah. You got to tune in. If you're going to go, you got to go big, right? Uh, Keenan brought it. I was list I was reading and like, ooh, oh, okay. <laughs> wow. It's kind of like, you know, the big blockbuster movie. Like, oh, this actor is in here too? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. It's good. It's good. Good stuff. Good stuff. What, what else are you up to, Keenan? Oh, my gosh. All the things. All the things. You know, uh, this year for the National Blast, I have a very big focus um, for this podcast this year, and it's very much about legislation that needs to come out for breach verification and incident notification. And so, you know, I've been working on a white paper for five or six months now and bringing other people in from the community, um, hoping to do something at Hack the Capitol where we can talk this through with legislators and you know, the no kidding people who actually do this job every day. Something that really frustrates me often is, you know, we see technology companies sending their CEOs, the CEO of Microsoft and the CEO of Facebook and others to DC to talk about these kind of issues. And as much as I appreciate that, and I, you know, those guys are great, but they're not in the weeds every day doing incident reporting. They're not in, they're not on the sock floor. They're not, you know, right doing the legal side of it. And those are the people that really need to be involved in this conversation. So I'm really hoping that this year is the year of really good legislation for that. And so my show is going to focus a little bit on that. And um, hopefully some of the events that happen over the next couple of months are, are really going to be focused on that as well. And of course, the, the other society piece uh, on critical infrastructure ties into that, as it's very likely that the first legislation that comes out for breach reporting and incident reporting is going to be focused on critical infrastructure. So that's my short list. <laughs> Pretty cool. I wish I had a cool one like that. Yeah. How about you, Diana? Anything not... coming up? I do have an announcement to make in a couple of weeks, but Ooh. not quite yet. Not quite yet. Yeah. All right. All right. And until then, you just uh, keep training the dogs with the with the with buttons. The, with the Just buttons. Buttons. I, I got to say, if Bunny yesterday, uh, she apparently had had a rough day and she, she hit the button feel and all done. And I thought that dog is like, she's she's over it. She's had the day and she, she feels she all ran, I love she that. She ran out of fucks. I mean, so. right. Oh my God. <laughs> I need to know about this toy. Oh, you, but I'll ask. <laughs> oh, good. You, you, yeah, Keenan. Um, yeah, Instagram. Follow. Um, what about Bunny and uh, Hunger for Words? The, it's a speech pathologist who, uh, Christina Hunger, who realized that alternative communication with dogs would you could get because buttons, right? Big buttons, and the button relates to a phoneme that you teach a dog. Like, and we know no, dogs know phonemes because they you know, yep. sit and stay, and and so and this has now been picked up, and there's this whole movement of people who are teaching their pets most of them are dogs one uh there are some people doing it with their cats which is incredible cats That's seem to really wild. favor the, the mad button um <laughs> unsurprisingly of course they do <laughs> so yeah it's just it's incredible and this this what about bunny it's her mom posts almost every day and and she's really really 
just expressive. Like she, at one point she asked her what she was dreaming about and Bunny said, stranger animal. It's like, oh wow, this is, this is getting a little ghosty. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> Paranormal activities. You know, I mean, when you think cats, many associate that with, you know, the, the, the souls or the witches or the witches. Oh, the familiars. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, there's some cats. It's just like really weird. I, it's, For the cats, do they have like different words? Like, can the word be, you know, murder? I want to murder you. <laughs> it, you, you can, you can teach your pets any words that you want. You just because the buttons you record the word that you want ah. them to, to, and then you model oh, the word see, okay. until you feel that they. So yeah, so the, there, there's one cat that's, I think it's a cat that it's French. So it's, it hits French buttons and when, um, but yeah, it, it's whatever you want to, like I, I modeled some words with, with my dog, but she's older. So her brain doesn't have the neuroplasticity of like a puppy. So I, I modeled outside, which she learned and, and scratches. So, you know, she wanted love and, <laughs> that's really and, cool, I, and I taught her carrots and treats, right. So that she got mm -hmm see that she understood the difference when she she understood what carrot really meant she never touched that button again she's not a carrot dog um but yeah, yeah some simple things like that very cool that's that's yeah. technology too i mean pretty soon they will talk to us uh, wasn't that movie there was a caller the uh, app the Disney oh. movie that yeah. they have a caller that translate their barking into voice yeah. squirrel when they said squirrel <laughs> exactly <laughs> yeah. i just thought about chris roberts right here squirrel all right. Okay. Good. Good. Uh, let I see some funny uh, nickname here, and I gotta say, Diana, I was gonna bring something called Fashion Underground. It was one of my news. So I think I know what it is. Fashion Underground. Okay. So I'm gonna let you go first because that's probably it. And then I changed my mind. But I think okay. I was, it is. was it the Corn the one from Cornell University? Anthropologist <laughs> studying something with. Something that watch and yeah, want to go? Yeah, for it? so sure. I honestly, when I read this, because I read it first on a on a sort of a, a redistribution site, and I thought that's made up because there's no way there's there's really an <laughs> academic paper about this. So I went to the Cornell University site uh, to make sure that they had posted about this, and sure enough, this is research that was done at Cornell University. And instead of uh, using the, the camera images of people walking around the streets to try and, you know, trace who's going where and you know, things for, for different uh, urban uses and, and also sometimes trying to find people, um, what they're doing is they're using those same images and they're creating a, a map, an underground map of fashion to try and re-understand where the actual neighborhoods are. Because what they're positing is that we are linked together by our fashion. So rather than um, just, you know, you might say like, oh, Brooklyn, and that's all hipsters, but it could be that there are different parts of Brooklyn, they have different kinds of hipsters. And then they wanna bring this to global and sort of start finding out like, what part of LA is really connected to Bogota? And is there a part of Seattle that's really Soho? Um, to see if there are pockets of, of fashion that go on around the globe that are linked in together. Um, and they also think that it'll be very cool in the future for anthropologists to go back and look at. So my, the reason I thought it was, A, I was like, wow, this is really strange, but interesting um, research. But then I was also sort of thinking about, do we think that there's, A, how do you feel about 
pictures of you on the street being used this way. And B, what do you, Keenan's like, yeah, I like, I'm like it. Uh, No, no, and, I'm like, no, that's the first thing I thought of was um, privacy. Yeah, and, and, then, and then the other one is, do we really think that, does fashion say that much about us? And, and we, are they actually in, in neighborhoods? Do, is, I, I'm curious to see what comes out of the research because um, I've, I've noticed fashion in sort of little pockets, like, but not a whole, I mean, I, I think about the neighborhood I live now, and I dress very differently from because I kind of don't spend a lot of money on clothes and I dress down most of the time. Um, so I look very different than a lot of people in my neighborhood. So I'm curious. I'm curious to see where this research goes. But yeah, what do you guys think? <sighs> okay, so I... I <laughs> Go go with the privacy because that was my first thought. I'm like, I'm, maybe it's like Google that they blur your face, but do I really know if you're really blurring it? Are you kidding me? They're gonna sell that information to that company. Uh, what's it called right now? Um, blah blah AI, who has committed to uh, having a photograph of every human being on the planet. Is that Clearview? Clearview, yes. Yeah, they're gonna sell that data to them. <laughs> I, it's so I. I I'm so trepidatious about all of these kind of biometric, um, you know, technologies and, and technologies using AI with biometrics and, um, you know, countries that are scanning your phone for all of your photos, because it, it's going to be used poorly somewhere. <laughs> it is like, even though we always try to start everything out with, you know, something good or something that's really going to impact uh, socioeconomic norms or are really going to change human life for the better. But at the end of the day, there's always some jerk out there that takes it the wrong way and does something with it. So that was my first thought too, is, is this going to be like, you know, the Google street view where they send somebody around to every street and they have that 360 um, degree view, which by the way, had a stalker, a stalker from my past, actually with his car sitting in front of my house. Oh. 10 years. And I, every time somebody went there, they're like, isn't that? I'm like, I know, because that just happened to be the day that they came and did that. Um, wow. My dogs were in the driveway. So, oh, that's, that's so much better. Yeah, that was kind of fun. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But you know, what does that look like in actual practice? I guess that's my question. What does that actually look like in, in, in somebody getting that information and how they deal with it and what they do with it? And then what do they do with it when they're done? Yeah. So I'm going to go with the other part of the answer, which is like, yeah, fashion is, it's a big, uh, it's a big thermometers of everything that, a lot of thing that goes in our culture and our society. I mean, it's the way people represent themselves, the, the, the way you make a statement. I mean, even you underdress and you're making a statement, you know. In, in, My statement in is I don't spend a lot on clothes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah look, look at you. You're all spending a lot of money on clothes and time, and I don't. So even if you think you're not making a statement, that's what they say in fashion. You're still making a statement. So that's, that's the thing. My statement is you can always use one more black T-shirt. <laughs> Which is also a statement. <laughs> But but the the privacy part is it's funny because when I was reading that I click actually on a, another couple of links there was um, the, the the software that they were using and other research that they have started a long time ago in in terms of 
you know, they call it anthropo uh, computer anthropologist, I believe, or digital anthropologist. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. So, you know, like they, they bring the example of how back in the days, if you're an anthropologist, you go into the tribe or you go into a city and you study, you interview people, you do all this stuff. And now, honestly, artificial intelligence could be the anthropologist that collect all the information and get to assumption and all of that. But I think, well, Keenan, we, we just we're writing something for the European community and artificial intelligence about this. And, and it's, it's all what you do with it. Yeah. I mean, there is so much good that can be done, but how do you guarantee the ethics of yeah. all the things that you do? So that's the big question, right? Yeah. So. And then yeah, bringing, bringing the, this is, you know, part of the, the larger piece that I'm always harping about, and you guys know, is the legislation and the government and pieces like that. If we're going to say that we're, we're okay for all of this innovation, we have to be crystal clear on what's not okay from the beginning. We can't wait for that to happen and then come back and say, we can't wait for people to deploy chemical weapons and say, oh yeah, no, that, that's definitely on the no-no list. Well, it should have been on the no-no list you know, yeah. from the very beginning. And I think that's the responsibility of every country and state and um, you know, around the world to make sure that they're crystal clear upfront Yes, this is to be used for good, but these are very specific examples of why you should not do that. Yeah, I think when it comes to this reaction, it's already too late. If you're waiting to react, it's, you're late. You have to think it ahead. And it, it's sort of interesting to me, like the the sort of the hidden dependencies that we didn't really think about. Like when I first learned years and years ago that they were putting cameras on all the, the city streets, it was. Well, we want to make sure that if somebody attacks somebody else, we've got a record of it. And hey, you're out in public, so what are they really? But now if they're going to be tracking things like, well, what kind of watch are you wearing? Or what kind of shoes are you wearing? That's information about you that's not just keeping the city safe, but can be interpreted as, do you have money or not have money? Do you have a target or not? It, it, it's, it does start to, it, things about us that I don't think we were, we were trying, I suppose you could argue, well, you went out onto the street dressed that way, but I don't think we were thinking about massive aggregation and having it recorded. Or even, I mean, there are some hairstyles that I don't think I want in these anthropological databases for years and years. <laughs> <laughs> and what happens when that same information and more of the socioeconomic pieces of it start to find their way into the metaverse? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> well, you, you know that you were not on on the. I don't think you were on that that episode that we talked about it. But the money, the fashion company, especially yeah. high end luxury company, are putting into yeah. metaverse worlds so yeah. that people can actually wear the Hermes watch of in on their avatar and they're paying pretty good money or Gucci bag or that kind of stuff. That tells you a lot about how the image is important for the majority yeah. of, of our society. It's so much that you're ready to spend to buy a digital version, a binary, like, you know, it, yeah. made by pixel version of, of that. And you're yeah. paying a lot of money and you're never really going to use it 
in the real world. So that's an entire conversation. I keep, right I keep saying this on the meta topic, and I'm going to keep saying it until everybody in the world has watched the show. But I don't know if you guys saw Caprica. It was like the precursor to Battlestar Galactica. Both very, very interesting. But the whole point of Caprica was this man wanted to create a digital version of his deceased daughter and therefore ended up creating a metaverse. And it talks a lot about all the privacy concerns, about all the personal concerns, way, way ahead of its time, obviously. But it's very, very interesting. And I just want to say that it didn't turn out well. It turned <laughs> out... It turned out with Cylons and AI robots that then tried to destroy humanity. I'm just saying, I'm throwing that out there. Food for thought. Yeah, that's all. <laughs> there is a lot of prediction. In, I mean, sci-fi for me, it's all about prediction. The more I read about it. I mean, honestly, I'm reading, I'm rereading Julius Verne, 20,000 League Under the Sea. And it's like the Nautilus is all electric. And this is mm -hmm. at the end of the 1800s. I'm like, dude, <laughs> yeah, you know, steampunk. Like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but yeah, no, it's a lot to think about. And and I think there are the thinkers that, even if in a fictional way, they there is truth. I mean, look at Asimov. Look at all those guys. Like, mm -hmm. They predicted the future. So let, let's pay attention. I guess that's the message. Yes. Yes. All right. Well, look, I'm, I'm going to keep a schedule. We're at 28 minutes right now. So, uh, Keenan, the ride of ride your, your life. life. The ride of your life. Um, so It's anybody, like an 80s movie. The everyone who's known me for like five minutes knows that gamification is my thing. Like, I, I love everything about it. It's so powerful. It's so entertaining. Um, it, it really can transform so many things. So imagine my surprise when I woke up this morning and learned that Peloton, my Peloton, has an update for a gamified ride. A gamified ride. I got that email too. Oh my gosh. It's <laughs> called Lane Break. And I was downloading it, but I went ahead and, and researched, you know, photos and things of that nature. And if you've ever played Guitar Hero, you know, and you have to like, you've got your phone and you have to like hit things at certain times so you can hit the rhythm and you can stay with the rhythm of the song. It's kind of like that. You have, it's like Mario Kart meets Guitar Hero. And I know I'm using all these gaming references. People are gonna be like, I've never played either of those, <laughs> but it's very rhythm based. And part of the concept is to have more engagement, which of course gamification absolutely does. It brings more uh, people in because people like to compete, even if it's against themselves. They like that feeling of achievement, you know, uh, getting further and faster and all of that fun stuff. So what's interesting to me is that in their tests sort of period, and they said that they've been doing this for, you know, two to three years where they take test groups and they test out different types of gamified uh, rides. Almost all of them, the, the users ended up spending more time on the bike, ended up spending more time in an individual ride. So maybe not doing a 20 minute ride, but doing a 45 minute ride because they're excited to get to the end of it. Um, so that that's my that's my story. And I think if, from a gamified perspective, when I think about gamification, this is exactly the kind of use that is, it's great for is getting people to do healthy things, getting people to do fun things, getting people to do educational things, longer, better, all of the above. 
what do you think? I, I think, I mean, I think you're right. Like if you think about the Sims, right? Um, basically what you do in the Sims is you do chores and you're doing chores for others. You have to clean up, you have to make the bed, you have to, I mean, there's, it's, it's chores, but yet people play it and love it because it's gamified. Yep. So yep. I think you're right. Now, did you do it? Did you, 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 you no. tried it this morning or? I did. No, I'm doing the download. So after, okay. actually after this, I plan to do my first gamified ride and I'll tell you all about it, but I, okay. I'm already sure I'm going to love it just because I'm a nerd <laughs> like that. I'm going to do like a 30 mile ride just because <laughs> <laughs> I want to see all the things. And they have, apparently they have, you know, it's not just the rhythm based things, but they have different sides of the track that you can move to for difficulty and, Ooh. you know, things of that nature and other things you can collect to get points. So like I said, really kind of Mario Kart meets Guitar Hero. Yeah, And I, and I was reading you, you do that by using the, 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 um, the resistance. Yes. So I want to try that too. But it's really funny you said that because I, since the pandemic, I said I'm done with gyms and <laughs> all of that. <laughs> yeah. So the first step was we we got a Peloton. That was a while back, and then the next one I I was looking into a rowing machine because mm -hmm. Peloton is cool. You're biking and everything, but it you know you're just doing pretty much your legs. You don't do your shoulder and. And rowing is apparently the second best yeah. exercise you can do after, and Diana, we talked about that last time, uh, country skiing. That makes sense, though. Yeah. Yeah, because you use every possible muscle. And, and anyway, so the point is that there was a few different alternatives, the one with the water, the one that is with the magnet. But there is the company... There is all gamification, like what you just said. So when you're rowing, it's not the instructor that tells you what to do or the other people. It's really, all right, we're going for the three kilometers, the three miles. And there is the, you can compete with your friends. You can have these other people in the line and, you know, you can keep the rhythm and all of that. Now, I ended up now getting that. Because I just like to listen to audiobook. I'm that weird. Even when I'm on my Peloton, I listen to audiobook or music. So I don't need that stimulus, but it's very effective. I mean, we do need that challenge. It's like, you know, it's kind of if you're a kid and your dad tells you, hey, I don't know, loan the, the, the garden. And I don't you think, I don't know, maybe you think like, I don't know, I'm gonna, looking for a treasure. I mean, you kind of want to play on these things. It, it helps to go through through things. So I, yeah. think, I think it's brilliant. I honestly think it's yeah. brilliant. I know for me, one of the big challenges with working from home, and I've always worked from home, not always, always, but I mean, before the pandemic, we were traveling constantly. So we weren't actually at home working from home. Um, but for me, you know, that first year having the Peloton, I, I was all in. Second year, I kind of slowed down. I did maybe two or three rides a week. And then very slowly, I just kind of got back into my own um, workaholic mode where I'm just, I could use that time to do this or I could like knock out this paper, right? Or I could knock out this email. And so the idea of gamification like kind of slapped me in the face this morning and was like, get back on the bike. <laughs> it's gonna be fun. It's gonna be enjoyable. It's gonna be wonderful. Yeah. And that excites me. It, it excites me when technologies like that, who are just trying to get more interaction, 
think outside the box and start doing things in a different way. I love it. Yeah, we're like strangely Pavlovian, you know, we're sort of trained to want to get to the next level. Like I use this, this um, app called Aptive and you can do different, it's all, it's almost all uh, audio, but they have runs, they have weight workouts and stuff and that. And it's, for me, it's really good because I don't find that part, the training part, I don't find that gamified. I just find it like it's, it's for me, it's a good way to mix up your routine. They give you good pointers on like your form. And I overtrained when I was in my thirties with distance and, you know, I had to stop running for a few years because I had just kind of messed up my, my shins really badly and my knees were not in great shape. Um, but now back to it, which is great. So adaptive kind of, so the trainers are one thing, but there's a gamified aspect of it where they give you a badge. And mm. after you've done a certain amount of, of you, you workouts on like for either the you know, the treadmill or for outdoor running or for walking or for weightlifting, you get a badge. And like, I've now, I actually cared about the fact that I got to the highest badge possible for the trade. Which is, why? You want the little Mario or the little Pac-Man to, to get the cherry or to get, you know, yeah. the, you know, the noise that you actually achieve I got the little something. confetti, they, they call it sweaty confetti, you know? <laughs> That, that's like, how yeah. we are. Maybe we never really grew up. No, uh, I mean. You know, one of my favorite, and this was years ago. I don't even know if it's still a thing. Um, it was a running app called Run Zombies. And it <laughs> oh, was, yeah. it was a story. And as you're running, it tells you when the zombies are close and you can hear them. Like you can hear them getting really close to you. So you run faster. <laughs> and it's like, right. no matter where you're at, it's using your, your map. So it's like, quick, make a quick left and go around this building. But it's ac actually the building <laughs> that you're, it, it was so much fun. I got to see if And are you telling me you didn't have nightmares or not? Because that's what nightmares <laughs> are made of. <laughs> No, I thought it was hysterical. She <laughs> didn't think they were real zombies. No, I, they'll, they'll make you run, or they'll give you a gun and you turn around and shoot them. And I mean, I can see that in the in a virtual reality game. For sure. Yeah. Oh yeah. You for sure. Like sort of walking yeah. dead. Yeah. Well, I'm gonna I'm going to connect. And again, we did not plan this, but I think everything is is kind of connecting here with this, at least for mine, because it it's about micromobility and how that could replace uh, a one-fifth of shortcut trips. And this is a, a research by Carnegie Mellon University where they say that if you could have a better um, electric bike uh, grid, let's say, you know, where, the, the, where you can get the bike. I'm not talking about having your own, although that's, of course, a good thing as well. But, you know, when you can take it, and then you know, that or a scooter and use that instead of the car for a short trip. I mean, you can really, yeah. you know, do a lot of things that are great for, you know, green gas emission. Like they're talking about, they did a study in, um, on an e-bike fleet in Seattle and they found out that 80% of short private vehicle, vehicle trips up to three miles could be replaced with e-bikes. But of course, there, there's a few things you need like, have storage, for example, so that you can actually take the bike to go to the grocery store instead of like, okay, I would like to get the bike, but how am I going to do that? And of course, recharging station, keeping it clean. So, you know, if you don't have your own, you, you want to be sure that you're not getting something completely beat up. And then 
I thought, but let's consider also the the exercise that you can do by doing this. So not only you do, I mean, look at the Dutch that they bike everywhere, right? I mean, they for that they they get healthy points talking about gamification. So as you were saying all of this, I'm like, can we maybe add gamification on public electric alternatives? That would be amazing. Right? That would be really cool. Health points, environment points, getting the badge because you get, you know, 20 miles on the electric bike instead of in your car parking. I like I think it. that'd be kind of yeah. cool. Yeah. I don't Peloton, I don't know if you're listening, but you know, <laughs> I, I think you could have another or, branch of your company right here. <laughs> or whomever is gonna buy you out, but right. <laughs> right. But yeah, no, and, and then there is of course the fact of the, the micro solution. I, I don't know, Diana, you probably know this, but lately I'm like, we don't need to do the big project. Every little things can help. The microelectric grid that can help you know, the little country in Africa to get electricity or, uh, you know, share your solar panel with your neighbor and, and, and get point for that <laughs> or, or, or get digital currency, you know, like we talk about NFTs and, 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 and the digital money for that. So I think like this are the investment we need, we need to do, like micro thing. Why do we always yeah. have to think so big? A lot of little things yeah. they make. They make big things. They add up. Yeah. Yeah. Though, I, go sorry, ahead. Kenan. You go. <laughs> um, and that, that's, that's what we've been saying about the, the climate change and the climate issue for 30 years, almost 40 years now, is if every single person does something, the impact is massive, right? So I think when you talk about the technologies that are coming out now, whether it's for the grid or whether it's for this bike or any of those things, if every single person does just something, it doesn't have to be the same thing. The impact is going to be massive. And that's what's important. Yeah. Yeah. But, I mean, I'm curious one thing, and, and then Diana, you, you go, but what are the legislator? not helping with this because for them is always about the big thing the big contract the big dam for the electricity the big atomic power plant well and it- yeah i mean a big part of that is lobbyists and the lobbying effort and you know i just had a, an episode talking about this in terms of even privacy and privacy legislation but when we talk about technology when we talk about you know, climate change, things of that nature, you're going to see 80% of big oil hanging out on Capitol Hill, trying to make sure that those things don't happen because it's a big business, right? Um, And that's true everywhere. We really have to get to the point where there are enough options, there are enough electric vehicles, there are enough resources out there to outweigh the, the need for anything else so that a legislator can look at these people that are saying, well, no, we can't live without this and we can't live without that. And, and these are all the jobs that will be lost at and, 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 and. Okay, but now here's a realistic answer that replaces all of those jobs instantaneously that actually reduces you know, uh, emissions that actually does this and does this and does this. Right now, I, and I'm a huge climate change um, uh, you know, believer and advocate of we have to do something. 
But I think legislators are always thinking, and, and rightfully so, thinking about their constituency. So if you're a legislator from, you know, South Texas, Houston, your constituency all works at an oil factory, right? Mm-hmm. They all work at refineries. So how do you make that choice between my constituents are really not going to be happy about this? And, and yes, I want this to happen. I want change. How do I do that? Well, the answer is we have to continue to innovate and make new options that really start to outweigh the older options. And I think that's where we're kind of short right now. We have some great opportunities and great options, but if you can't convince your constituency that it's the best thing for them and their paychecks at the end of the the week and making sure they can pay their bills, then we're going to have a hard time. How do we convince them? Because as you were speaking, I was realizing that there's something that that we often see in business that I'm realizing there's a a social element too, which is if you've ever heard the phrase, we we can't do that because we're going to cannibalize our existing market. Yes. (laughs) Yep. Yep. Right. And I know that a company's in trouble when they start worrying about cannibalizing their existing market, because what inevitably happens is if you don't cannibalize your own existing market, some other company, the competitor is going to, and you're going to lose those customers either way. Innovation's going to take over. And but here, rather than losing to a competitor, right, we could just lose big. We could lose access to our homes because of the oceans rising and things like that. Right. But how do at, at least in business, one way that I've, I understand to, to deal with we're going to cannibalize our market is to start to explain the competitors are, and, and you know, you show enough data. You can have that conversation. How do we do this socially? How do we do that yeah. from the legislative perspective? I, I think that people, they just want the immediate solution. So when you tell them in the long run, this is going to be good, they're going to be like, yeah, but worry about now. So I think the way to do something like this is that when you say, well, this industry is failing and it's not good for us, you, yeah. You're trying to hold on to that. But there is solar, for example, that now it come out that it actually gives a lot of jobs, right? Maybe even more than what we had before and for sure better than being in a cave <laughs> in a mine, yeah. right? So, but, but I think what we need to do, we need to prepare for that and say, today you're stopping doing this, but here's your new job. Do you like it? Take yeah. it. it. When you bring that uncertainty of, hmm, am I going to leave this, which may be worse, but is it sure that this is happening? So maybe, again, a small, small little piece that, that can help this transition. I don't know. This is I'm talking utopia here, probably. But. I, I, I agree with that. I agree with and the business example is right on, Diana. That's, that is completely uh, what, what this scenario kind of looks like. And I agree with micro things being the way, but one of the problems that we have with not just our legislative body, but anywhere in the world where there's a legislative body is we kind of expect our legislators to be experts on everything, right? So you should be an expert in cybersecurity and you should be an expert in energy and physics and all of these things. But at the end of the day, these are just everyday people who've decided to try to do good or you know, be better or make uh, their constituents have a better life. So one of the things that I think is paramount is instead of just having 
lobbyists who are constantly trying to educate legislators. I think we need to have everybody, scientists and, and all of those things regularly talking to a massive body um, and not just individually, but the, all of Congress and saying, these are the facts supported by this, 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 and this. If we do these micro things over the next, mm -hmm. I don't know, 10 days, this is going to be the output. Let's try it, right? Yeah. Let's see what happens and build up that long-term trust of, okay, these are the people that are the experts. These are the people that know what they're talking about. Let's really start taking micro chances and uh, getting micro answers. And that's how we're going to change that. Because once they really understand a topic better, then they can convey that to their constituents better, right? They can go back and say, well, Sally, I'm glad you asked that question about why solar is better than gas or oil or, or dot, 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 and actually have an educated answer instead of one that may be coming from nowhere, maybe coming from the internet or, you know, all of the things. It's always about education. And that also yeah. means educating the legislators. Oh, that's a good point. And I mean, change is hard. Yeah. I wouldn't like it if I, you know, if somebody came up to me and said, so, I mean, it's, it's been my career, it's 30 plus years, right? You know, somebody said like, oh, cybersecurity is completely over. You got to go retrain and start a new career. I'd be like, what are you talking about? I mean, that's a huge thing to say yeah. to somebody, especially if their, their parents were doing, you know, yep. we've always done whatever this is, you know, that's mind blowing to think yep. about. Go do a different job. Let's just use cybersecurity as a quick example. And I know, Marco, you're like, ah, give me one second. No, 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 no. Go, go, go. If, if we use cybersecurity as an example, right now, we need so many people in cybersecurity. We do. And I have I have mixed reviews on this from my own you know, heart and soul that there are people out there. There's so many people looking for jobs. But if those people have been working in a specific area for a specific amount of time and have had no access to cybersecurity or no way to get free, like really free training and the ability to convert quickly into that field, why would they come? Right. It's just like you said, my family's been doing this business. I've been doing this business for 20 years. I've been doing that business for 20 years. How do you say to them? Well, your business is now relevant, but you can learn this. Here, here's mm. some random course you can go through. What? Yeah. No, that's like a long-term process of change and culture and society. <laughs> and, and, and yeah, of course we're not making it. Of course we're not doing it right. Yeah. But yeah, that's then, exactly then the, micro. the point. That's Prepa micro. Micro and prepare for the transition. So either have the job to be already there. Of course, you can't turn yourself from being an expert in something to an expert in something else. Mm -hmm. But the, in that transition moment period, you, you do educate and you retrain. I mean, look, I don't know about you, but I know about you for sure. But I don't know about <laughs> everybody. But we, we're all training. I mean, we're not going to come on this show, for example, which is more my job without knowing what the hell am I going to talk about? Although sometimes it's fun, but, but I'm still like trying to do my job in doing this. I mean, I need to have some basic understanding. So I'm, we're constantly learning something. We just don't sit on, I mean, you don't sit on, yeah, I know how to use Windows 3.1. I know computers, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, you keep going, but you can't expect people to be expert again. Like what you said, Keenan about politician is also about 
you know, the old jokes that I want to is in preposition with 10 years of expert experience. Right. Well, yep. Screw right. that. Yeah. That's not going to happen. <laughs> and it, all that does is, is give everyone a bad taste in their mouth about what the, this is. <laughs> See, even Tiberius agrees. Yeah. Tiberius doesn't like it. He's mad about it. It's a yeah. shit. Yeah. It gives you a bad taste in your mouth about that career field. And, you know, if these are their expectations, how does anybody succeed? How does, how am I going to succeed if I don't know anything about it? Um, these are small cultural changes that have to happen. I'm just going to slide over here real quick and let them go get that squirrel. Yeah. <laughs> do that. Squirrel. Squirrel. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, I love how we, we get into this big picture conversation and uh, I don't know. Why can't we just have this with, with the people that make decisions? <laughs> it just blew my mind. Because it's hard. Yeah. Because it's hard. And the people who make decisions aren't just making decisions for themselves. They're making it for the people that voted for them and expected them to do certain things but are they doing it for the right reason or is it because well, they're a, giving them money and okay should i go that's there, a whole other go there? that's okay, a whole other I'm conversation go there. i'm, I'm choosing to see the good in legislators okay. right now it's like <laughs> okay. today okay I can, right. I can see that all righty i think uh today went really smooth because jo sean wasn't here so maybe <laughs> <laughs> now we'll, we'll keep them out. But you know what I miss? I miss the food-related news or, you know, you always bring the, the food. What was the last time, Diana? Was the, the, oh, the artificial intelligence to clean, to clean the grill. Which That's is, right. Oh, yeah. It keeps us hungry. It still blows my mind, but it's, no, it's kind of lunch. The scariest time. one for me was, I think, is something about microbes to create meat. Oh, sure. <laughs> yeah, microbes, fungi. Ferment, yeah. <laughs> Fermentation, it's like all kinds yeah. of ways we're making meat now. <laughs> it's easy, easy peasy. We're going there. All right, well, I'm going to do the honor of closing this and thanking Keenan anytime, really. It's like, I'm going to come on. Sure. And if sometimes it's five of us, who cares? The more, the merrier. So that's good. And I can Love tell it. you that next time, already we're already going to know who's going to be on with us. Angela Marafino, she rocked. Yeah. And shameful advertising. We'll see. Maybe not. <laughs> uh, shameful advertising. She's, as you probably know, she runs the Hacker Book Club, which it's going to be a podcast on ITSP Magazine. Oh, that's great. Yay. That's really great. I'm very excited. I mean, you put book and technology and hacking all together. I'm happy. I love it. So we'll, we'll hear more about that next week uh, through the tech vine here on ITSP Magazine. Diana, always fantastic spending time with you. And Keenan, anytime. Always welcome. Excellent. Peace, Peace. out. Blue Lava is the first business platform for CISOs to manage their security program. Blue Lava guides security leaders to effectively measure, optimize, and communicate their security program with confidence and ease in one platform. Learn more at bluelava.net. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Through the Tech Vine podcast. If you learned something new and this podcast made you think, 
Then share ITSPMagazine.com with your friends, family, and colleagues. If you represent a company and wish to associate your brand with our conversations, sponsor one or more of our podcast channels. We hope you will come back for more stories and follow us on our journey. You can always find us at the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society.